Blog Talk Radio. to that person's advantage to fight or flee, and that's a, that normal uh, 
or that um, typical fight or flight response that we're familiar with. When the mm-hmm. when the danger, um, you know, there's danger, you want you can either fight back and try to stop it in that way, or run away and try to get away from it in that way. Um, but with betrayal trauma, when the when the perpetrator, somebody you're close to or depend upon for survival, you're in a bind. You can't really, um, if you try to fight back or run away, then you lose that important relationship. So um, survivors of betrayal trauma often end up um, having to kind of disconnect from awareness of what's happening, uh, forget about what's happening, and something like that in order to survive that relationship. And we've looked at how survivors might feel shame and blame themselves rather than paying attention to being victimized. So that's sort of um, betrayal trauma theory. And your question about I, I, how does this apply to veterans, they, you know, you usually think about betrayal trauma as um, involving uh, family members or friends or, or somebody really close. Um, it very much applies to veterans, actually, as well. And the reason for that is that betrayal trauma, what, what the uh, research in the lab has found is that um, anytime the, the metaphor of family is invoked, that betrayal trauma is becomes highly relevant. Um, so veterans, uh, uh, military members are one, one situation where the metaphor of family is invoked um, very, very much. So um, band of brothers and um, things like that. Oh, so you yes. have somebody, you have somebody in, in the military who is victimized by, let's say, um, a commander. They're in a very similar situation to somebody who's victimized by a caregiver when they're growing up. For example, um, quite literally, they are dependent upon that person for survival. I have never thought of that but it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So why is it worse, and in what ways is betrayal trauma worse than just the regular trauma? As if trauma can just be routine, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard to find the right vocabulary for some of these, these ideas, you know. Yeah, it certainly can be. Um yeah, but it's it's all it's all a range of horrible things happening to people, um, and these different horrible things can affect people in different ways. And of course, you know, major major traumatic events that don't involve other people, like car, major car accidents or natural disasters, can also be very very traumatizing. Um, that, that we don't want to downplay that in any way. But um, I think with betrayal trauma, what you're up against is often sort of all of the regular old um, trauma symptoms, uh, the flashbacks, the nightmares, the um, feeling really on guard or watchful. And then at the same time, you're up against usually a whole range of other things as well. Um, And this is something that Judy Herman talked about in her book, um, Trauma and Recovery, in the 90s. And she... um, came up with this idea of what's called complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So I think most people now are familiar with with PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, complex PTSD involves all of those regular old PTSD things plus things like what she calls alterations in consciousness, um, which should be forgetting or spacing out or lapses in time or losing memory. Um, and things like alt- what she calls alterations in self-perception, and that's where things like shame fit in, seeing, seeing yourself as fundamentally bad or flawed. Um, well, but you so, mentioned things like a car accident where you wouldn't have that, but mm-hmm. I have known people who've been in, in very serious car accidents where they felt um, very responsible for somebody and they and they felt the guilt and shame. Is that an yeah. anomaly? Is that an exception, or no, would that um, come under the category of betrayal trauma? Yeah, no, that absolutely can can be the case where um, somebody can feel guilt or shame for something that um, where they they 
it didn't involve somebody else hurting them, um, but it, it might have involved some a, a trauma where they they blame themselves. Um, and that's uh, some, there's some research that's come out more recently on um, sort of excessive guilt. So guilt when somebody has done something that they didn't mean to do something wrong, but has like, harmed somebody else. Um, that they can they can experience guilt to the point where it becomes no longer helpful, and that can kind of turn into shame or feelings that the, that they're bad or flawed. Um, and that's, that's different from betrayal trauma. Um, it's just a, a different situation that might also be likely to bring up those feelings too. Yeah, you know when I was reading, you know, some of the things you were saying about what is betrayal trauma, I immediately mm-hmm. thought of child sexual abuse and domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Both uh, yeah. of which have really long-lasting um, impact on the individual victim, um, mm-hmm. and you know, people are always saying, "Well, why doesn't she just leave if she's in domestic violence?" And it sounds to me like yeah. betrayal trauma is a very good uh, explanation for that. Can you elaborate absolutely. on that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the case of childhood abuse, it's very clear um why why do you, people don't ask that about children why doesn't why don't they just leave when they're being yeah. abused because obviously the um, level of dependency is um that it's just there's just no way um with survivors of domestic violence um it is a different situation because i think people look at the survivor and they say well you're an adult you can you, you can just easily um and maybe maybe it would be hard, but you could get the job if you don't have a job and get the resources you need. And why don't you just do that? Um, I think that can be really hard for people to understand. And I think that question, why doesn't she just leave, or he, why doesn't the survivor just leave, um, can be damaging to the person who's been in that situation. When people don't understand the effects of betrayal trauma, um, so so first of all, people who are in relationships characterized by domestic violence are more likely to have to have experienced betrayal trauma earlier in their life as a child in childhood as well. Um, and so they're often, not always, but often already coming into this situation in the adult relationship more equipped with the ability to what we call dissociate, um, dissociate or disconnect from awareness of somebody hurting them yeah. um, and already equipped with the ability to, to feel bad about themselves, um, to, feel, to feel shame and blame themselves often rather than recognizing that this person is hurting them and recognize that they're being abused. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're already coming Well, that makes often. me wonder about, that makes me wonder about um, the role of, um, societal expectations tied mm-hmm. in with this. I mean, we assume that uh, parents are going to be good to their children. We assume mm-hmm. that spouses are going to be good to each other. And when they're not, sometimes uh, the, the the society or the the community um, doesn't doesn't understand, and they end up blaming the victim. Is that a contributor to this betrayal trauma? Absolutely. Yeah, that, I think that expectation that parents are going to be good to their children, that partners are going to be good to their partners, um, that that sets it up so that um, there's when when that doesn't happen, there's like this additional level of violation of expectation of what can be depended on. Um, so you know. If we if we come into the world thinking that people closest to us are going to be kind to us, protect us, take care of us, and then that those very people are the people who um, abuse us emotionally, physically, or sexually, then um, it's it's just really it, it pulls the rug out from under not just that particular relationship, but our whole idea about how relationships are supposed to work. And so in order to make sense of some of that, um, it's often psychologically feels, it, psychologically maybe more feasible to just keep the abuse out of awareness and say, 
okay, no, maybe this person is good to me and everything's okay. I saw a um, clip of a Dr. Phil show. hate Dr. Phil. I just have to say that right up front. I don't think he understands at all uh, the phenomenon of domestic violence, and uh, it, I think he does more uh, of a disservice than, than any kind of a good when it comes to those situations. So, yeah, I'm the one. I'm the one that doesn't like Dr. Phil. Um, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he. I saw a little snippet uh, of a show. I don't know whether it's a past show or an upcoming show, but there's a young woman um, who is with, I don't know, some some older woman in her life. I don't know whether it was her mother or an aunt or a neighbor or whatever, but the woman was older, and um, apparently the woman wanted Dr. Phil to help the young woman understand that what she was experiencing was indeed serious domestic violence. And the man had written um, emails to her describing how he was going to kill her and how he was going to do it and, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And there were police reports. And this young woman was so in denial. Well, we all say, I've said, you know, I could just kill you to people, you know, not seeing any difference between that and detailed plans for, you know, offing her. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, the police didn't get that right. You know, she was so much in denial. And it occurred to me, you know, is is this is this a sign of betrayal trauma? The, this this insistence of uh, minimizing or denying abuse. I do. I guess, yeah. I guess I'm say, phrasing it badly. Do we feel an obligation to protect the abuser in betrayal trauma situations? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that is very much a side of betrayal trauma. And actually, um, you know, one of the things that you, you um, had talked to me about before the show is uh, the acronym that Jennifer Fried came up with called DARVO, which stands for oh, yes. um, Deny, Attack, and Reverse Victim and Offender. And yeah. so it's not just the minimization that's part of betrayal trauma, which very much is the case that you'll see um, people uh, saying it's not that bad. Well, the the perpetrator saying uh, it's not that bad. I didn't really mean it. Um, But then also society um, has this response of um, they couldn't possibly have meant it that way. They probably were just, um, uh, you know, we just, just words. They didn't mean anything. Um, that, that minimization is there, but then it can it can go beyond that to where the victim is actually blamed um, for having a reaction to being victimized, um, and the the perpetrator can say, you know, it's you're the one who's hurting me by telling me by calling me abusive or saying that I'm doing these things. Um, and in society, we often have a, a reaction on that on the same level sometimes to. Um, to learning about uh, alleged alleged abuse um, okay. and thinking about the case of Woody Allen, for example, um, yeah. that another one uh, of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. Um, you know, when and Bill Cosby is another one that I just was. I just saw a story about um, Bill Cosby being accused of uh, sexual harassment. Um, I actually don't know the details. I just like I saw it come up in my um, on social media yesterday. But um, in both of these situations, my, I myself um, very aware of I think of uh, betrayal trauma and the effects of betrayal trauma and um, and that these things happen all the time. That people do hurt hurt other people, but because I think certain people um, are so uh, when, I guess when a person becomes familiar like that, like Bill Cosby or Woody Allen, we start to think of them as people who, um, you know, like they, 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 they're people who we, we don't want to see them as bad people. Um, well, not Dr. So it, Dr. Huxtable. I mean, please. Exactly. <laughs> Dr. Huxtable couldn't Dr. be bad. Huxtable. Yeah. Yes. It's very, it's very jarring. It, like, forces us to, um, like, reevaluate everything that we believe about about human nature in some ways. So mm-hmm. and it's often easier. Like that's a, that can feel like a betrayal to the people 
learning about it, that I felt I felt a little bit betrayed learning about, um, well, how did I not know this, and how has this been going on for so long? And um, I noticed the pull for my mind to not want to know that. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it's this things can very very much can minimize um, minimize abuse or even blame the per- blame the victim. Um, or not on purpose, but but we can blame the victim in a way that's like, well, maybe it wasn't, maybe they're taking it the wrong way or being too sensitive, um, rather than knowing about things that are really painful to know about. Well, and these public personas, and I'm not talking just celebrities, the public persona that we present to other people and that they believe is us, yeah. is really hard to... Um, argue against yeah yeah that that's very true am i saying that correctly i mean is that making sense i mean if i know a person i mean read a, a, a news story for example about some guy who goes uh and kills his entire family and invariably somewhere in the article it would say something about the wife was trying to leave uh or there had mm-hmm. there had been a history of domestic violence reports and People are still absolutely shocked. Good old Joe did that. He was such a mm-hmm. nice guy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, well, he was uh, to you. You know, <laughs> you know that was his public yeah. persona. Uh, didn't have anything to yeah. do with the people who lived with him. Um, and I, I think it's for some reason it's very hard for us to to believe that somebody can present a picture to us that is not the true picture of who they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we really want and, we really again, want to believe what we see. Yeah, and I'm coming back to betrayal trauma. I mean, as a victim of betrayal trauma, would that also add um, you know, salt to the wounds by us buying into this whole public persona. You know, well dad did this to me, but dad was always a nice guy. Dad was, you know, loved by the neighbors. Dad was the 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 deacon at the church um mm-hmm. do victims of that feel um extra pre- uh, de- denial or uh, extra conflict because of knowing the the the, the um, abusive side of a person when the public only knows the nice guy side yeah i think it's a very important point and what i've seen happen um is the the victim will tell uh, and I'm thinking about um various people I've worked with in therapy and that they'll tell me um in detail about really horrific things that have happened to them and that, you know while they're talking about it they're fully remembering it and you know it, when when they are talking about the perpetrator being somebody who has this um, public persona is well-liked and well-supported and um, very often what I'm struck by is that they'll tell me, the, the client will tell me this story about something that has happened that's just like so vivid and then at the end of the story say, I'm probably making this up. Oh. Yeah. I've, I've heard that. Just in the, I've, I've been at um, my position at, at Portland Psychotherapy here just for about two and a half months since I recently moved to Portland, um, and I've heard that at least three times now. Um, it's very, people very, very clearly remembering what these things that happened, um, and then and then just saying it probably didn't happen. Um, and you know, not not all of not not everybody I've seen has um has uh that the perpetrator wasn't always a you know public figure or, or anything like that, but in the cases when I have seen that in the um the years since I started working with survivors of interpersonal trauma they uh it it, it makes a big impact um to to have everybody around that person, you know, who's usually if they're a public figure, they're in a position of authority, a position of power, and then how um, other people around them, you know, all agreeing that this this person's 
a good guy or a good woman, um, and they wouldn't do something like this, that the victim, it, it's like it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've seen like that. It, Go ahead. Um, I'm going to say, except it, it's like it did happen in terms of the the victim um, experiencing all of these things that they can't explain. Like, feel like I feel like I'm going crazy. I feel like I... Um, I I'm spacing out all the time. I lose I lose chunks of time. I'm not sure what to remember. I'm not sure what's real. That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. But that could happen with with the trauma by itself, let alone betrayal trauma. Can yeah. Not? Yeah. Oh, that. Um, um, yeah. Give us That's a call. I'd love to hear um, how this. Um, theory, this betrayal trauma idea um, might affect uh, people out there in our audience. Give us a call, 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. Love to get your input on this. Um, Melissa, when you work with um, folks who've had betrayal trauma, experienced uh, not only the trauma but betrayal trauma, um, mm-hmm. what what are the long-range effects, the long-term effects of betrayal trauma as opposed to, you know, the, the trauma alone, the traumatizing event alone? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, um, that's a great question. I think um, trauma, trauma alone, like it's when I think, Trauma alone, I'm thinking about um, trauma not perpetrated by someone close. So Yes. Um, and that type of trauma, um, you know, depending on the person's um, uh, personal disposition and then resources in their life, talking about earlier sort of this ordinary PTSD stuff, um, so uh, having flashbacks or nightmares or anxiety, depression, um, and feeling really on guard in certain situations. Um, but the, the difference is that in that context, the person um, knows why usually, like knows why they're feeling that way. They know I got in this car accident and since then I have, I feel really anxious when I'm driving or I avoid driving. And um, it's really, it's usually very clear where that's coming from. Um, in the case of betrayal trauma, because it's often um, a foggier picture because of um, what we talked about earlier, is it, it um, it's not always advantageous to the survivor to remember what happened to them um, in the case of betrayal trauma, that what you see a lot more often with the, the betrayal on top of the regular trauma stuff is um, the difficulties in, in knowing their own internal experience. So, um, and somebody has a uh, history of betrayal trauma and may be more likely to say, I don't know what I'm feeling. Um, I'm not sure what I'm thinking. Um, sort of a lack of awareness of what's going on for them personally or what, what they want, what they need, what's important to them, what they what they value in their life. Um, because so much attention and that person's life lifetime usually has gone towards um, sort of hyper-awareness of, uh, trying trying to do what they need to do in order to not get abused. Um, so it's really a, uh, often a lack of what's in, what really matters to them personally. Um, and that can also go along with um, problems regulating emotions. So this is a, this is a real um, difficult thing within the mental health system where the mental health system can really harm survivors of betrayal trauma. One of the biggest diagnoses that um, you'll see with survivors of betrayal trauma is what's called borderline personality disorder. I'm not sure if that's something you've heard of. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, oh, yeah, you have. Yeah, you but, have but give a, an explanation um, of it anyway, in case other people don't know what that is. So borderline personality disorders, uh, in the diagnostic manual, the, the DSM, um, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, that is um, the book that is used to make all all the diagnoses in the United States. Um, so, and uh, insurance companies use the DSM in order to make decisions about who gets care and who doesn't get care. Um, diagnoses are 
used um, uh, throughout the working with veterans in the, in the VA system. Um, there were different treatments, different treatment tracks based on what diagnosis you got, things like that. So um, borderline personality disorder is in the DSM, which means it's considered something that can be covered by insurance and um, there are treat- there's treatments available for it. So you can get, you know, routed in the direction where you'll get, get the appropriate treatment if you have this diagnosis. But what it is is um, basically what I mentioned earlier, the symptoms of complex trauma, complex PTSD, it's all the same thing. So um, difficulties regulating your emotions, so having um, major swings and feeling feeling a certain way at one minute and a different way at another minute, um, difficulties with interpersonal relationships, um, Dissociation is part is part of the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, which is also, you know, very characteristic often of, of what happens with betrayal trauma. Um, so, so, the, so what you're saying is the victim will exhibit um, the borderline personality, or the perpetrator exhibits that's borderline a good question. personality. question. It's, it's it's yeah, we don't know about the perpetrator, but. Um, the the victim is often diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Is that so, through um, ignorance or that is that a, is that a misdiagnosis or are you saying that that victims of betrayal trauma develop borderline personality disorders or apparently develop them? Or are they just being diagnosed? Depends, that? that depends on how you look at it. So, it, oh, okay. um, from my perspective, it's um, I don't know if I would go so far as to say it, is it, that it's through ignorance because it, it's just a way of working within the mental health system and the available mm-hmm. diagnoses. That, that's the diagnosis in the DSM that most closely fits the diagnosis of complex PTSD, which is actually not a recognized thing. Um, mm-hmm. So providers are put in this position where they have to choose something that best fits the symptoms the person's coming in with, and that's the diagnosis that best fits um, symptoms that are characteristic of of uh, history of betrayal trauma. Um, often, not always, but that, that often comes up as you know, shame and difficulties with emotion regulation, dissociation. That's all in there. So people um, working in them think they're doing the best they can to give the appropriate diagnosis, which they have to give um, yeah. for insurance companies and things like that. But the effect of that, so it's more of a, like an institutional level of betrayal. When when diagnosing borderline personality disorder to survivors of trauma, it's more of an institutional level of betrayal rather than like an individual provider's level of betrayal. Um, okay. The institution gives this gives this diagnosis, and then what I've seen in the VA system is somebody comes to a provider. Uh, a new provider with that diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. And there's already going into, before the provider even ever met that person, they don't want to work with them because of the stigma about borderline personality disorder. Um, well, and I'm thinking of, of courts. I mean, courts, especially in custody disputes, yeah. often require um, psychological evaluation um and in the cases of domestic violence, it's usually the the mother that is required to have the psychological evaluation. Um, mm-hmm. And if that type of diagnosis is mistakenly made, that can have terrific damage to a oh, mother yeah. and children. Terrific damage. Absolutely. Okay, you've got to go to the net. Oh, you've got to take this all over the place and start. <laughs> you have to start hitting the the symposiums and the. <laughs> yeah, and we had a symposium last weekend. So. Um. Oh, okay, good, good, good. Um, so, because uh, I'm, you know, I mean, I told you that I'm working on my my psychology PhD, and as, yeah, uh, you know, as somebody in that role, I look at some of the psychologists that I work with and that I meet, and I think, boy, they just don't have a clue about some of this stuff. Yeah. And I'm not sure whether that's their fault, the fault of the education system, the fault of the, the psychology industry. Uh, I, you know, I don't know who's to blame for that, but so many psychologists mm-hmm. that I know really don't get it, and yet they're the ones who are in positions of evaluating uh, 
parents, you know, often. Yeah. So, okay, send all your cards and letters to... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all of you psychologists that think that I've just betrayed you. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, I, I do see that. I, I see a huge amount of ignorance um, in the professionals um, who are mm-hmm. working with uh, parents uh, in, in child custody disputes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, they're, and of course they're not the only ones. I mean, there's judges and lawyers, and you know. But uh, with the psychologists, uh, it's, it's it can be, I think, really devastating. Um, yeah. If a psychologist makes a mistake and that ends up in some sort of trial or um, judge's decision, it, it can be pretty tough. So I encourage you, go out there and talk to everybody. Talk to all your peers mm-hmm. <laughs> about betrayal trauma. Um, what, hap- what, what happens if somebody is diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder? What are the characteristics of that? Well, uh, I previously mentioned borderline personality disorder, uh, you know, things like difficulty regulating their own emotions, um, or knowing what what they're feeling, um, difficulty relating to other people, um, dissociation, feeling uh, chronic shame, that kind of stuff. Um, so what happens when somebody is diagnosed with borderline personality disorder? A lot of things happen. Um, ideally, if they're in a place where there's a, a um, dialectical behavior therapy program um, where the providers are... Say that again? Uh, go ahead and explain that. Oh, dialectical like... behavior therapy. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a... A treatment that um, is really has a lot of strong research behind it and um, can be very, very helpful for people. Um, even even if somebody is coming in with a history of uh, betrayal trauma and complex trauma, and they come in, they get diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and they get and they get dialectical behavior therapy, it can still be really helpful um, if the providers um, are familiar with trauma, uh, a little bit familiar with trauma and the effects of trauma and can validate that, it can still be really helpful because it actually does address a lot of those issues that come up with um, with, with betrayal trauma. Um, so what, what dialectical behavior therapy is, is it focuses on helping people to tolerate distress and regulate their emotions and work with work with um developing developing healthier relationships and be be more mindful but a big part of why why I think that it's called DBT why that why DBT can be helpful even when you're talking about people with betrayal trauma is there's a big emphasis on validation um validation of the person's experience and there's also a big emphasis in some of the principles in that therapy um some of the principles are um, really attentive to power differential and you know, recognizing that you're in a position, a position of power as a therapist and how damaging that can be or how um, how you can use that to, to facilitate growth and um, that it really matters what this person's experience is and, and, and things like that. So um, it can be helpful, but the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder itself, that, that label... Um, originated from uh, uh it was initially um something like the border the person's on the borderline between neurotic and psychotic so it's not it's just like not a very nice thing to call somebody but nevertheless it fits oftentimes i have mostly heard um borderline personality dis- disorder um discussed when uh talking about perpetrators of uh, domestic mm. violence. Um, so, you know, this is interesting to me to know that, that some of the victims also exhibit the, the same characteristics. Um, or is it one of those characteristics where, you know, it's 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 easy to put, a, you have to put a label on something as a professional. Um, yeah. Is it uh, easy if you can't, 
pin it on anything else to call it a borderline personality disorder. Yeah, exactly. I think it's that you just hit the nail on the head. I think it's the easiest when you can't you can't put it on something else to put it on the one diagnosis that's kind of the closest fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I I should point out too to our listeners is that um, you know these are handy ways to categorize illnesses, but it's also mostly done for insurance companies. Um, mm-hmm. Insurance companies want a diagnosis, and then they can say, yes, we'll pay for this diagnosis, but not that diagnosis. Um, so you know it, it it's um, in some ways it's an insurance company invention. Um, insurance company convention um, to come up with these diagnosis numbers as such. Um, and you can do that with that what you will, but um, sometimes I wonder if it's just easier to check off this box than that box sometimes just so that you can get the insurance company to back up what they say they're going to cover. I'm jaded. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very jaded when it comes to insurance companies. Yeah, well, yeah, and these diagnoses really matter. Another another thing that I've seen with survivors of betrayal trauma is um, the well, this was within the VA system in particular, um, but being being diagnosed with a, a psychotic disorder, um, mm-hmm. which maybe the per- maybe the person has symptoms that hallucination and delusions and maybe they fit into that to some degree but I've I've seen um actually saw a note in the chart for one of the veterans I was working with from a psychiatrist that said this person um is saying that he experienced this type of abuse but due to his diagnosis um of psychotic of a psychotic disorder I would um not give too much weight to to what he's saying. I oh. saw that in a chart by a psychiatrist. Wow. Okay. Um, hmm. That's interesting. My experience, uh, my mother was mentally ill. She's passed away many years mm-hmm. now. And uh, she was mentally ill her whole life, but we didn't really get her diagnosed until uh, later in life. And um, she basically, um, she started seeing people. You know, people came to her door, she served them coffee, and when she told them to leave, they mm. wouldn't leave. They went upstairs instead, so she called the police to come and get the people out. And she had served tea, you know, uh, <laughs> but there were no wow. people. And uh, mm-hmm. so the police were able to do, um, actually it was a godsend, because we'd known for years that she needed some, some help, but we were not able to do that for her, as relatives often are not able to do that. And yeah. so when the police, when she called the police, it was, um, you know, as I said, a godsend because then they took her to a hospital and um, uh, had her diagnosed. But what we found, my, when I say we, my sister and I, uh, what we mm-hmm. found is that every single thing she said, they believed. They believed it. Wow. And um, and I've seen this before. Again, in custody battles, for example, um, one parent will go in and say, well, this other parent is crazy, and da-da-da-da-da. And I've seen uh, reports, valuations, saying, well, um, the father exhibits uh, this kind of behavior and this kind of behavior, but that's understandable considering what the wife put him through. When, in mm-hmm. fact, the only thing that this um, uh, psychiatrist or psychologist has to go on is what he said. And he's a perpetrator. Right. So, so to me it seems a little naive, but with my mother, I found that every single thing she said, they bought wholesale. Um, mm-hmm. At one point my sister said, are you finding talking with these hospital people a real challenge? They, they just seem to be so nasty. And I said, absolutely. And then afterwards uh, I got her evaluations and her reports. She had told the hospital that she was estranged from her daughters. Her daughters were trying to just get her money, um, Mm -hmm. and uh, they didn't really take care of her. And my sister, I mean, my sister would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning if my mother called and drive 30 miles to get to her house so that she would, you know. uh, I mean, my sister was sometimes going two or three times a day to my mother's house. But yet my mother said she was estranged, and therefore the hospital mm-hmm. believed her. And wow. I, 
as I said, I've seen that several times. And I just wonder how many victims are being diagnosed with things like borderline personality disorder based on what um, based on what's being said about them, whether it's true or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm sorry to hear about that experience. And um, I think it really gets to the issue of um, it, it It makes a difference what, what who, whoever the listener is, especially if the listener is in a position of power. It really makes a difference what we see as truth and what we what we stay open to is, um, you know, maybe this is this is not really what's happening. Um, and and I guess from my experience, it it's it's not. Um, I guess I've been surprised in both directions. So it's not I'm not so much wanting to put out the message that um, when somebody says anything that it's always true at all, um, but um, I've been in the position of being surprised by learning that something wasn't true and learning that, some, and then also learning that something was true. So in the case of the veteran that I was referring to who was diagnosed with this psychotic disorder, um, the, the story he had told was about a trauma that had happened to him in the Navy on a Navy, when he was on a Navy ship, and a really detailed story about a type of sexual abuse that he experienced there, and in, the, in that moment, I was thinking, I'm, I read the note by a psychiatrist, and it made a difference in the way I saw him, and I was thinking, um, I'm not sure if this is true or not, and in that particular situation, um, you know, I know I don't know for sure what happened, but I, I had another veteran a couple weeks later with the same exact story um, that saying this exact trauma, it was almost like a, uh, a hazing kind of a trauma, the exact thing had happened to him, a totally different person. And both of them wow. said that, um, yeah, so then all of a sudden that that's, that's what shed light on, wow, it's not so much that people don't, you know, sometimes have psychotic disorders that are, um, that we really just need to be looking looking at that in a very different way, that a psychotic disorder can be absolutely real. Um, or they can be absolutely unrelated to betrayal trauma, um, and they can, you know, be kind of slapped on as a diagnosis in error sometimes. Um, so in this case, it, after hearing somebody else have the same story, it, it really struck me like, well, it really matters what, what not so much what I believe and what I don't believe, but um, through the way that I communicate that to, to the person who's sitting sitting with me. Yeah, um, yes. It could be one more provider saying, you know, nothing is, nothing, um, yeah, there's, there's no opportunity for you to be believed. Or it could be somebody who um, listens and, and, you know, just mm-hmm. takes in whatever, whatever, whatever is there. But you never know. I mean, that's the thing with listening to stories about something that's happened in the past. Like we don't, we don't know what's, what's yeah. the truth and what's not the truth. We only know what what might it might work better to believe some a certain thing compared to another thing in some situations. If we have a family member who has experienced trauma by a loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we suspect that they are also suffering from betrayal trauma. Um, this theory has been around for almost 20 years, you say? I yeah. have yet see it or read about it. I mean, when I saw this uh, in an article, I just thought, wow, this is perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, this makes so much sense. And yet it's been around for 20 years, and that's the first time I've heard of it. Um, I can imagine that there are people out there practicing who have never heard of it, um, yeah. And, you know, I, it just makes so much sense. If we have a loved one who is getting some sort of therapy or treatment, can we, um, can, can we uh, suggest betrayal trauma to them or maybe write a little note to the, the 
it's a psychiatrist or psychologist saying, you know, have you considered betrayal trauma? You know, nobody, your your therapist can't talk to anybody else about you. But that doesn't mean they right. can't accept information from you. Um, yeah. Again, going back to my mother's situation, you know, I mean, I, I I called many doctors saying, you don't have to tell me a thing, but you need to know that she's exhibiting this, this, and this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so they will listen to you. They won't tell you about the patient, but they will listen to what you have to say and consider right. it. And um, sometimes I don't think people understand that. So you could write a little note to the therapist saying, you know, I could you, you know, I ran across this theory, this betrayal th- trauma theory, um, and uh, by Dr. Fried, 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 uh, Fried, Fried, uh, F R E Y D. And uh, it makes so much sense in dealing with, you know, Susie. Um, yeah. Have you? Uh, are you familiar with this? You know, you can mm-hmm. you can do that um, without uh, betraying any confidentiality. Um, would you suggest somebody maybe actually do something like that? Yeah, that's a, that's definitely something that um, that's a possibility. That I would add to that a couple things. One is. Um, talking that you could also talk directly to the the person, the family member, the loved one and talk to them about that theory and see if it fits for them. Um and another another thought is if that loved one or family member um feels that the this well feels that this the mental health professional, a psychiatrist, is somehow um, not able to, to validate their experience, it's also okay to, if the situation allows it, to go to somebody else. Um, and then, and of course, if somebody hasn't heard about betrayal trauma because it's not, it's not as widely talked about as some other um, theories of trauma sometimes, but, uh, and it's it's okay to to also try to educate the provider um, directly through whatever means. But I would always want to get that loved one in the loop on that before um, going directly to the provider. Yeah, I think yeah, and and, and I think that would be up to you know like a, a for me to getting my mother in the loop would have been a huge mistake. Um, okay. So I think that as a, a loved one or as a relative or as a, a dear friend, you need to evaluate that for yourself. Um, I also yeah. believe that if you know that that the the patient has a right to know whatever you're doing um, that might affect them, but you know, in in cases where the patient um, might be, uh, it might do more harm than good to tell the patient, "Oh, I'm going to talk to your your psychiatrist," and you know. Um, mm-hmm. You just you know if you if you're willing to um, uh, jump in and offer information that may help your your friend or loved one, you just have to evaluate. I think whether it's appropriate or not. Um, right. So anyway, uh, well, one of the things that really struck me about betrayal trauma is how well it fits with domestic violence, mm-hmm. and. You know, people are always constantly saying, why doesn't she leave? Why doesn't she do this? Why doesn't she do that? And I think that this betrayal trauma symptomology um, absolutely explains that. You know, it, it mm-hmm. just explains that so beautifully. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I have become a betrayal trauma advocate. <laughs> I, will, I will be carrying my banner for betrayal trauma oh, wherever good. I go. <laughs> Um, and um, I think that that we should talk more about that. Um, we, meaning people in the field of domestic violence, people in the, the field of mental health, I, I think this betrayal trauma issue is huge. And mm-hmm. um, I really, um, my kudos to Dr. Uh, Fried for absolutely, you know, promoting that and coming up with that uh, as an explanation for a lot of behaviors of victims. You had mentioned earlier about DARVO, D-A-R-V-O, Deny, Mm -hmm. Attack, Reverse Victim and Offender. Right. Every single situation where there's been domestic violence, every single situation that I have ever seen, the perpetrator uses that. They Mm -hmm. deny, 
They come out guns blazing, and then they become the victim. And, you know, the, the, the victim becomes the perpetrator. I mean, it's almost like you can write, you know, set your watch by, by that happening, that occurring after charges of domestic violence are, are um, la- laid out. Um, I think that aside from the um, betrayal trauma theory, this whole idea of deny, attack, reverse victim and offender should be in every police officer, every uh, everyone's vocabulary, um, mm-hmm. because I think we, most people know that it's there, but it's so easy to remember it with DARVO, D-A-R-V-O. Um, mm-hmm. Did Dr. Fried come up with that as part of her betrayal trauma theory, or was this a separate concept? Yeah, she did. Um, she came up with that as um, it was came out of betrayal trauma theory, um, and I think you're you're right that it can be helpful to have that as an acronym, and it's just like a, a quick thing to remember when things. I think in situations of domestic violence, things can feel so unclear, and like one day, uh, one minute, it, it can feel so clear that um, something this person is really doing something really harmful and it's not okay. But then when that happens, that's denied, you're attacked, and you're made to feel like the offender, the perpetrator, it um, can be easy to, to lose sight of what's going on at all. So exactly. It, it can be really, yeah, I think you're right. It can be really, really powerful to just have that written out in plain language like that. And so this, oh, to remind, to, for victims to remind themselves, um, this is what happens. Like you're saying, this is yes. what happens like clock like clockwork. Um yep. and I'm not Absolutely. I'm not doing anything wrong. Yes, exactly. Uh I think a lot of uh of course when women are going through that whole process, I mean it's not like people go through that every other day. It's a brand new process to them. The whole thing is, is terrifying. Um and then for the perpetrator to start making accusations about you being the perpetrator, pretty tough. You know, pretty tough to deal yeah. with. Um, so I think the more education we have about things like this, the better. And that DARVO, it's just, as you said, just the spot on of what happens. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you can set your clock by it. They they deny, they attack, uh, come out guns blazing, and then they become the victim, and the victim becomes the perpetrator. It's just an amazing thing. Melissa, mm-hmm. um, we're almost out of time here. Do you have one quick thing that you'd like to leave our listeners with before we wrap it up? Um, I think just I think when hearing about betrayal trauma and how it can affect people, it can feel a little bit daunting. Um, we talk a lot about you know the harm that's caused and um, and the and the ways that institutions can be harming people and the way other people can harm people. And I think people can often listening to this kind of thing, we might wonder, well, what do I, what do I do? What can I do something about this in my day to day life? If somebody tells me about trauma that's happened, um, how how am I supposed to respond? And I guess my one piece of advice would be to um, have some compassion for yourself as a listener in that situation too, um, that you don't have to do anything, you don't have to fix anything, um, you don't have to don't have to get rid of their experience. Um, really, I think the most powerful thing can just be just be listening and say I'm here and um, mm-hmm. to to take in whatever happens happens to be that person's experience. I think that's great advice. I think that's great advice. We can't all be experts, but we can all be listeners, non judgmental listeners. Um, and when you try to have somebody listen to something that you say, it just is really not helpful if you say, well, why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that? Irrelevant. Just listen and be non-judgmental. Thank you so much, Melissa. I really learned a lot. You can tell I'm really excited about this. If you would like to join us next week, we're going to be talking about a judge in Arkansas who uh, allegedly beat up his wife. There's 911 calls, and he is still sitting on the bench after being charged with domestic violence. I often close our shows with a quote, and today I will say uh, this quote is from David Leviathan from the Lover's Dictionary. It was a mistake, you said, but the cruel thing was it felt like the mistake was mine for trusting you.
And I think that kind of sums up what we've been talking about with betrayal trauma. Thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. Join us next week. We'll be talking about that judge in Arkansas. And uh, remember, you can go to our archives and listen to a show anytime you want. And that's www.blogtalkradio.com slash Three Women, Three Ways. And that's the digit three. Thank you for joining us.